Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Let's bring in Marvin Ryder at this point, business professor at Group School of Business, McMaster University. Marvin, thank you for the time. Much appreciated. I'm glad to be with you this hour. Uh, a lot of commotion over the, the weekend, the last 72 hours, my goodness, school closures to travel to such, and specifically in and around interest rates. Talk about what happened to interest rates over the weekend uh, in the United States and Canada. Well, let me take you back to Friday. On Friday, our finance minister announced uh, that he was going to give $10 billion, <coughs> excuse me, $10 billion of support two businesses through the Export Development Bank and the Business Development Bank of Canada. And then simultaneously, the governor of the Bank of Canada said to help things out, he was slashing the overnight rate of the Bank of Canada by half a percent. Um, I wondered if the Federal Reserve Board of the United States would follow suit. They were having a regularly scheduled meeting this coming Wednesday, just two more days from now. But preemptively, yesterday, the Federal Reserve Board announced they were cutting their overnight rate, not by half a percent, as we did in Canada, but by a full percent, basically making money free, that businesses could go out, borrow money if they needed to, and they would be charged no interest until uh, some point in the future. I mean, that's a wonderful thing to see happen. And I think uh, the reason why they did it on a Sunday, I, I never in my life has the Federal Reserve Board made an announcement on a Sunday. I think they were doing it to try to get the markets off to a better start today. Unfortunately, that is not what has happened. The markets are down again, uh, as was as we've seen now twice before in the last week. Uh, first 10 minutes, 20 minutes, and then the trading was halted because it dropped more than 7%. Right now is trading in around uh, down eight eight and a half percent, and just to give you a sense of where we are, Scott, this is not a correction now we 're not even talking about a bear market. You have to go back to when America entered the second world war in one thousand nine hundred and forty three uh, and the bombing of Pearl Harbor to see uh, drops like this. Now, this is not as bad as the Great Depression. There, the stock market lost almost 80% of its value. Right now, it's down about a third from its high. Um, not saying this is, this is you know disaster around the corner, but it really speaks to the fact that we're in the process of shutting down the world's largest economy. The market maybe underreacted when we shut down the second largest economy in China, but now that the chickens have come home to roost, so to speak, we're really seeing the effects of shutting down the world's largest economy, and we're right in with them. So uh, the significance of having a rate that's zero or near zero, I mean, is it zero? Is it 0.25? What is it? Well, it would depend upon the time you're borrowing the money and, and so on. Right. And so, so their target rate, they don't set it the way we do with the Bank of Canada. We actually have one specific number. They've got a range, so it's between 0 and 0.25%, depending upon what it is you're doing. And the Canadian rate at this point is? 0.75% at this point. Uh, I think on Friday, we actually gave uh, our Bank of Canada governor great great credit for stepping out ahead, leading the curve. Now, of course, he's a little behind the curve. I don't think he's going to necessarily follow suit right at this moment. I think he wants to leave a little something in reserve for when he needs to do it. But conceivably, before the week is out, he may also announce another 0.25, 0.5, even if he wants to the full 0.75, because we are in uncharted territory. Uh, Donald Trump was quite critical uh, the early part of the weekend that the Federal Reserve Bank uh, hadn't done this yet. Uh, odd for him to pressure uh, the Federal Reserve to do that. And what is the fallout of such action? Well, it, usually a president uh, realizes there needs to be an arm's length between 
him or her and the central bank. So it is unusual that he has been pressuring the Federal Reserve almost since he appointed the current <laughs> chairman of the Federal Reserve. Uh, uh, Jay, I lost his last name, but uh, he's been pressuring him almost from the beginning. So it is unusual. He's happier today than he was a few days ago. But the only danger with what the chair has done is he's given himself very little wiggle room if this thing continues on. Uh, in Europe, some of the central banks have actually moved so far as to have negative interest rates. Uh, that's that's highly unusual, and I don't really want to even try to explain what is negative interest rates. But, but even Donald Trump spoke of that. Yes, he has said that's a possibility. I, I just don't think we want to, to get into that territory. Basically, a negative interest rate, if you put $1,000 in the bank when you go to take it out, you'll get back less than 1000 We're used to it the other way around. Your money would grow if you put it in the bank. This is an encouragement when you get to negative interest rates to keep all the cash out there active in the market and not to even save one penny. I'm not sure we want to go there just yet, but it shows you that this is unusual times. And really, everything is drying up. Uh, here at McMaster, things are very, very quiet. Uh, we haven't shut our restaurants yet, but there is talk. Maybe Mr. Trudeau will announce that he's going to encourage restaurants to go into a delivery-only mode, no eating in a restaurant. All of our public attractions are shutting down. The casinos are shutting down. Uh, we're restricting the hours in the stores. This is massive and will have repercussions. What we don't know and why the market is so scared is we don't know if we have to go into this mode for three weeks or is it two months or is it six months if we could tell people okay once you get to that point we'll be fine but we don't know what that point is even in china that's now been in lockdown for roughly six seven weeks they still have cases now very small numbers of cases today i think it was 36 new cases of coronavirus but but they're still getting cases so i think we want to be in this mode until we can get back to virtually no new cases you talked about repercussions how do we pay for this as you said uh we're trying to keep supply chains open not only for business but so people don't start hoarding things and such what are some of the repercussions how do we pay for this yeah the hoarding at this point although it's it's kind of disgusting to watch is the least of my concern um, how do you take an industry like the airline industry cancel more than half the flights and have those companies even survive um you and I have talked before about corporate welfare or corporate bailouts, but this is very unusual territory. And I think the government can't just hand out cash, but they can, by making interest rates as close to zero as possible, allow businesses to take on debt temporarily to bridge finance them, but take our retail stores. If we're shutting down the hours or limiting the hours, take our restaurants. If we're limiting the hours, how do people survive? Now, Doug Ford said, and I, I give him great credit for saying, we're going to protect your job. Okay. So if you get a layoff notice, you've still got a job, but it doesn't necessarily mean you have income. I suspect today you're going to hear from the prime minister about what he's going to do to enhance our employment insurance program so that should you have to be laid off, even though there will be a job there when the economy starts to pick up, how do you keep bread on the table during that period of time? businesses are not welfare. And I, I give great credit, for instance, to the sports teams who said, look, we're going, to, we're going to cover for our employees during this time, and bravo for you to do that. Bravo for those athletes who are taking a cut in pay and taking their money that they would have gotten and put it into those pots. That's great. But that only is a little bit. How do we cover all of these other industries, service industries and otherwise, that may have to shut down for three weeks, eight weeks, maybe 12 weeks, how do we keep all of those afloat? And so that's why, again, I think 
I suspect we'll do it through the employment insurance program. I suspect the prime minister has even been given a green light from the opposition parties that if he needs to borrow $20 billion, $40 billion to keep our citizens going, he's got that, that leeway at this point. Uh, what about how this does affect the rest of the world? We're talking about how it affects our community, how it's affecting us, uh, citizens and such, but how will this affect the world economy? Well, we, we are headed to obviously a very bad second quarter. We'll get through the first quarter, and the numbers won't be all that bad. But as we head into the second quarter, April 1st to June 30th, it will be a, a terrible quarter. Uh, I don't want to call it a, a depression or even a recession because that has to go over two or three quarters. But in just that one quarter, it, it, we're just basically pulling the plug on everything. Europe right now, more than 100 million people are basically in quarantine. The economies of Spain and Italy are, are almost truly shut down. Are we going to have to shut down all of Europe? If China's down, the United States is down, Europe is down, Canada is down, Japan is down, there really is very little, and Korea is down, there's very little economic flow out there. It will be a terrible-looking quarter, but it might just be one quarter. And we also believe that when we can get past this, everything will very quickly go back to normal. In other words, we'll come out of our houses, we'll start spending money again. So just how do we get through what is a terrific quarter? We've done this before. As I pointed out, this is the situation during the Second World War, but that was 80 years ago. There are very few people who've lived through that to remember those difficult days we may be headed to that, but I think it'll only be temporarily. I remember uh, post 9-11, uh, people saying the world has changed. The world will never be the same again because of process and procedure that, that followed this. We are seeing our world adapt to this, many working from home, um, uh, just lots of things changing. How much will that change the world moving forward? How much have we just hit fast forward on all of this, on mm. technology? Well, you asked some good questions there, and, and I think uh, w what I'm not clear on is how much of this we're doing as, as sort of temporary triage. Okay, I can make this happen from home for the next two weeks, four weeks, what have you, but I, my preferred mode is to go back to where we were before versus this become the new normal. Gosh, I've done so well working at distance or working at home or working with the technology tools, maybe I never need to go back to the office. Mm -hmm. I'm not just sure which way we are. At this moment, certainly at the university, from my standpoint, I, I don't think this is going to become my new normal for teaching. I think I'm still going to use the old model. But that's now. I'm only a day or so into this. Let's see what two weeks, three weeks, four weeks goes. It could be fundamental. One of the great things about humanity, though, is we also have very short-term memories. Things did change after 9-11, but then there was slippage after that. The more you get comfortable, the more you stop doing those things. Even something as simple as hand-washing, I remember that being the order of the day during SARS, but SARS was almost 20 years ago, and guess what? We got sloppy again. Whether this now changes it, I, I don't know. We, we have very short-term memories. Uh, interesting uh, email from uh, Susie Braithwaite at the International Village BIA, wondering if it's possible to do a little chat about how to support small business during these times. She's very worried about businesses in the International Village and how they will survive all of this. What about the mom and pop shops? Well, let me just go back before I get quite to that. We've got another interesting challenge in Canada because we have two different layers of government. We've got the provincial government and the federal government, and I'm sure there are a thousand phone calls going on. 
we should all be very pleased that Christian Freeland is in charge of that intergovernmental ministry because there are some things that it would be wrong for Ottawa to announce. They'd be overstepping their authority. In other words, they have to work with the provinces. They may actually have to finance it, but it may be up to the province to announce those. So you have to look both now for leadership from Ottawa and Queen's Park. In the case of those small businesses, I, I think the question is, what are they going to need to survive? Doug Ford, I thought it was very interesting. He said he'd been in contact with all the major retailers, obviously not the small ones in the International Village, and said to them, what do you need to get through all of this? That's a great attitude to have, and I think that's the same question we've got to ask of our small businesses through our chambers of commerce, through economic development. What is it that they need to get through? And then who is the right person to give them those things? If we can make money very cheap, if they have to borrow something temporarily to get through this and there's no charge for those loans, that would be a step in the right direction. Do we need to talk to the banks and get them to loosen up some of their rules? Uh, apparently, and again, this is happening so fast, Scott, I can't even verify this, but apparently people like Bell and Rogers, what have you, are waiving some fees about data overage on the Internet, uh, long-distance charges on your phone, because they realize those tools become very important. It, that is the kind of stuff we need to get through this to the other side. But that, the question is starts again with those small businesses. What do you need? And probably what they need is for us not to get into panic mode and absolutely shut everything down. If you can, even if you want to do a little sign for your small business, go out and buy a, a gift certificate that you'll use in three months from now just to get them some cash flow. Uh, and, and obviously, some may not survive this. Um, is there opportunity here as much as loss? Well, I'm, I'm hoping we'll be able to get most companies through this. Now, I was watching on, uh, I think it's MSNBC or CNBC, they were talking about some people in the oil sector, and there were some oil companies that had recently expanded and taken on a lot of debt, debt before this new change, uh, debt that's very expensive, and they were wondering how they were going to survive, how they'd even be able to service that debt given what's happening with their revenues. So there may be, there may be some shakeout, there may be some weak companies. This could be uh, the death knell for some of them. And usually as one company dies, there are opportunities for others. But I would say I prefer to see that when there's really economic reasons for it. This is all because of a, a virus, and a virus that we think the effects are going to be temporary. We just don't know what temporary means in this world. Uh, we haven't heard a lot about China uh, in a while. When this first broke, when this first started a couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago now, um, all focus was on China, and then obviously now our attention has, has uh, moved closer to home. But how does this change uh, how we do business, uh, our relations with China? Once the golden goose, now the cause of this chaos. How, how do we move forward on this? How do we keep these partnerships moving forward? Well, again, great question. Uh, today, a report out of China has been trying to estimate where their numbers are, just how their economy is performing during this time. Uh, we expected this year China to grow 6.5%. Uh, right now, they're suggesting there may not be any growth at all in the Chinese economy this year. Uh, their data from the first quarter is the worst first quarter China has had uh, since uh, 1970. You have to go back 50 years to see the performance of the Chinese economy be this bad. How is the world going to react to China? Again, I think it's a little early to know who to blame. I know 
we've had this conversation before. Is it a animal-to-animal transfer in China, and then somebody ate some peculiar food in China, and that's how it got into the human chain? China themselves are now blaming the United States. They think this was a virus that somehow the United States manipulated and it broke free. I don't know if we'll ever figure out where it came from, but if I can look at things like SARS or MERS, that's Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome, once the world can get past this, trade is so necessary, I don't think you can shut China out of the equation. But I imagine there will be new protocols for screening, new protocols for travel that will come out of this, and, and China will obey them just like everybody else. As a major, and we'll tell you, we got to take a quick break here and then prepare for this uh, press conference, but as, a, as the, a major world supplier of goods, how will they sell this? We're going to answer that question uh, with Marvin Ryder, DeGroote School of Business, McMaster University, when we return. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Marvin Ryder with us, DeGroote School of Business, McMaster University. Marvin, we were talking about uh, China prior to yep. the break. And, you know, again, no time to be to laying blame or point fingers or such. But as you had mentioned, China is is woven so deeply now into the North, North American supply chain and, and economics and such. Um, and considering what has happened, how once this is over, how do they sell this to the rest of the country? How do they reassure the country or the, sorry, the rest of the world um, that we can depend on them as, a, as an integral part of that supply chain? Yeah, Scott, if you don't mind, I'll just come at that ever so slightly differently. Today, a big thing that boards of directors of corporations, small and large, are doing are doing uh, what we call risk assessment maps. Uh, they're trying to anticipate where could something go wrong and how do I mitigate the risk as I go forward. Now, coronavirus is not something that anyone ever put into their risk assessment maps. We'd never seen this before. Mm-hmm. It's a bit like 9-11. We'd never seen planes used as flying bombs before. Of course, once you see it, then it's prudent for the board to say, how are we going to mitigate this risk going forward? So in the case of China, we have gotten so used to using it as a source of manufacturing. Almost all of our technology products, whether it's phones or computers or, or tablets, are being made in China. And I'm, I'm sure the first thing boards are going to do whenever we get past this is to say, are there alternate sources of supply, or would it be prudent for us to start developing alternate sources of supply. Now, I think they'll still be in places like Asia and Africa because of the cost of of labor in those places. We'd already begun to see some movement away from China. China's had all this tremendous economic growth, but their wages today are higher than they were a decade ago. So, for instance, in clothing manufacturing, clothes are now being made in places like Vietnam or Sri Lanka, Uh, and less being made in China because it's getting expensive. And I think that diversification, companies will now take steps to say, well, since we can't rely on China not having something like this again in two years or four years, let's see if we can find and, and build some alternate sources of supply. Won't be in North America, but it would be good news for other com- countries trying to develop their own economies. Those around China, they prosper from this as a result for that reason. In, in the longer term, the answer is yes. Now, China was also seen as a very stable place. I know you and I will talk about this as a communist country, but it, it, it's known for a lot of stability. There are other nations around there where, let's take, say, North Korea, where you've got a dictator who's very temperamental. 
maybe things are cheaper there, but then I'd have to put up with that administration. So they'll be looking at other stable uh, countries in that area where they can get those sort of cost advantages. Vietnam today is a great example. It's a very prosperous country. Obviously, South Korea has done very well, but there are other places that will benefit because of this. Uh, will will this change China's approach? Will this just be business as usual, or once this all settles down, will there be a, a meeting of the minds in some way? Yeah. Well, I've been thinking a little bit about this. Now, you know, there is a temptation for us in the Western world to blame, quote-unquote, the Chinese diet, that people in China seem to be prepared to ingest some things that other people won't. And if it is true, and I'm not saying it is, if, but if it is true that it is feeding that strange diet that has led to the coronavirus moving from a, an animal host only to a human host and then spreading the way it has, I think there might be pressure on China to maybe alter some of its cultural traditions and be, uh, I hate to say it, be more Western in what it's doing, but eliminate some of the more extreme things. As you probably know, African rhinoceros is endangered in part because in China, powdered rhinoceros horn is still seen as a, a medical treatment. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. So we have just heard a press conference from the Prime Minister. Uh, Canada is to bar entry to all travelers who are not citizens or permanent residents. Uh, U.S. citizens will be exempt at this point and flights coming in from the Caribbean. Uh, All airlines uh, are asked to not allow people on planes who are showing symptoms if you have symptoms on arrival. Um, uh, you will not be allowed entry into the country. Um, uh, apparently, this uh, does not affect trade at this point. Uh, all international uh, flights will have to come through Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver, or Calgary for screening. Um, and again, that does not relate to the United States. Let's bring in Marvin Ryder again, business professor at the Root School of Business, McMaster University. He is with us now. Marvin, your thoughts on what you heard? Well, let me just give you a couple of quick things. First, uh, this business of trade continuing on. To date, as we look at the coronavirus, none of this has been transmitted from a person and uh, via a good. So in other words, if we import a car from Japan, do you have to sanitize it all? Mm. We don't seem to be getting it from goods. That's why trade can go on unchecked uh, as well. I think you have to look at today's announcement as truly today's announcement. Uh, This is not the last announcement this week from the federal government. He already hinted at that fact by saying that uh, tomorrow he hoped we would have measures for individuals who are self-quarantining, people who may be laid off temporarily because of their jobs. How is the government going to allow those people to keep buying their their food, paying their rent, etc.? That wasn't included in today's announcement. This was much more about simply transit of people between destinations. So I, I think a bit like, and I didn't live through the Second World War, other people did, but it's a bit like that, that every day the government's probably going to be making some announcement that's going to affect you in some way each day trying to minimize the amount of that impact and yet clearly having significant uh, uh, changes to the way we live. And then one other thing I thought happened interestingly in the Q&A session, one reporter said, uh, okay, so someone comes here, how, how exactly are you going to check all of this? And the Prime Minister noted, and this is the rule of law here, we don't really have the ability to uh, enforce a self-quarantine. We're going to ask you to self-quarantine and then we're going to trust you to do so. I think for the average citizen out there, more than ever before, that's a very important responsibility. If we ask you to stay at home for two weeks, please stay at home for two weeks. There is nothing 
that you have to do that is more important than doing that. Uh, short of deploying the National Guard, short of going door to door, that's what we're going to have to do. And even boarding the planes and disembarking the planes, it's not like we have lie detectors lined up to say, uh, when we ask you, do you have a fever, and you say, no, no, ding, 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 they're lying. <laughs> we're going to rely on people to tell us the truth, and hopefully during this difficult time, people are not going to be couching their symptoms. We really need a lot of honesty from everybody to make this work. How significant is the closing of the borders to those except Canadians? Well, in part, it mirrors what Donald Trump has been saying, and I think we have to think of North America as an integrated whole. It'd be difficult if we kept our borders open and America was closing them, that all people had to do was come to Canada and then come by Canada. So we, we do have to move pretty much together in lockstep. But again, it's back to this whole, what is the most effective treatment for coronavirus? It is simply to lock down your economy. And those countries that were slow to do so, Italy comes to mind, Spain comes to mind, they're paying the price for it now with a health care system that is truly getting swamped. I don't, I don't like to be too dramatic here, Scott, but truly in Italy today there are life and death decisions being made. They don't have thousands and thousands and thousands of ventilators for people who are suffering from coronavirus. So a doctor has to say, you get to go on the ventilator. I'm sorry, you don't, and that may cause you to die, but I don't have enough for everybody. We don't want to see that here. So I think this is why uh, shutting the borders, uh, and one could argue, I think another reporter asked Mr. Trudeau, are you too late doing so? Maybe you should have done that on Friday. This is this is the challenge in a democracy. Uh, it would be quite different if this was a dictatorship. You could just wave the wand and everybody would understand that your personal rights are subject to the whim of the dictator. But we're a democracy, and we don't give up those personal rights of, of movement or living or what have you easily, and we shouldn't give them up easily. I think Trudeau is trying to find that measured step. What's the minimum I have to do every day? to keep things going, at what point do I need to step it up? And, and you know, a day here or there, I think at this point, doesn't make that much of a difference. Uh, many uh, depend on the Canadian government to get them out of problems when they are abroad, and very clearly said, if you're sick and you're in another place, you're not getting back on a plane, um, but will support Canadians who are sick in other countries. Your thoughts on that? Well, step number one, he's, they're going to ask all these Canadians who are in another country and ill to register with the embassy or the, whatever uh, whatever um, political entity is in that country. So at least they know, we can say, there's a 1,000 people in Italy that are trapped, or there's 2,000 people in Spain who are trapped, and then to check in on some regular basis. Today they're asymptomatic. Great. Are you, are you quarantined? Are you okay where you are? And that's how we're going to support those people that we can't bring back otherwise who may have waited too long to come back. And we'll track that and see what kind of assistance is necessary. As you may have known, we, we have brought a few people back. We have taken extraordinary measures. But then when they get here, we've actually put them in quarantine, not just self-quarantine. We actually have people today in Trenton on the Air Force Base there in quarantine that we've brought back from other jurisdictions. But again, we don't have huge, huge facilities to do that. So if you've chosen to stay, you're probably at the whim of that, that area, but you will be in touch with our government who will at least try to track you as it goes. All right, last question, and we thank you for all your time today, Marvin. Um, prior to the press conference, we were talking about how this affects business. Uh, now that you've heard these announcements, any change to that? 
No, you know, clearly the government is, is monitoring this on a day-to-day basis, and clearly they've got to hear from businesses. So if you're a small business, what help do you need to keep things going during this time period? Um, whether that then comes from the municipality, and I suspect we're going to hear something at some point this week from Fred Eisenberger about things. Perhaps, for instance, uh, uh, our next round of frame property taxes is uh, on April 30th. Maybe they'll waive that and say you got until May 30th to do it. We'll look at the municipality. We'll look at the province. We'll look at the federal government. Each is going to try to do what they can to keep them going. And then I think you, first and foremost, have to do what you have to do to keep it going. Uh, and if we can just hunker down, we can get to the other side of this. But it's not easy to have a one-size-fits-all policy because businesses are quite different. An airline, an oil company, or if you're a little restaurant uh, in an independent area, each one needs to be treated differently. Marvin Ryder has been with us, business professor at a group school of business, McMaster University. Marvin, as always, thanks for the time today. Much appreciated. Glad to be with you. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.